Greetings and salutations, everybody. It is Friday. That means it is time for the double dip here on Keyboard Tomorrow. I am Eastwood, okay? Friendly neighborhood Spencer man tapping in to start things off with the punch drunk predictions. Very shortly, we will get to UFC London, which takes place. We'll be, we'll be underway. We'll be three hours underway as of this time tomorrow. Really excited about that. But before we get to Saturday's fight card, we have to look back on the most recent results that I turned in so that I can always keep you up to date on how I've been doing. I took last week off, didn't make any picks, didn't make any plays on, on last week's fight card, didn't watch the event live, sub subsequently watched it back because I have to get every fight in at some point. But the last card that I made picks on was UFC 290. Went eight and five at that show. And, and honestly, looking at sort of where I missed, I don't feel that bad. There are some fight cards where I just make bad plays where I make bad calls and those ones sort of stick with me. But UFC 290 wasn't one of those, one of those events. So I landed on the wrong side of both split decisions, both the Pantoja Moreno split decision and the Hooker Turner split decision. So those don't feel that bad. Those aren't hard to swallow for me as somebody making picks because it was close. They were super close fights. They could have gone either way in my estimation. And so it just is what it is. Denise Gomes defeating Yasmin Haragwi was a surprise to me. She looked great. I didn't think it was going to go that way at all. So that one's okay. Vitor Petrino was better than I expected and fought much smarter against Marcin Pracnil than he did the last time out. And Esteban Ribovich was solid throughout while Kemuela Kirk, who I had picked, started fast, faded hard. That's just how it goes. Eight and five is still not a bad number. A .615 win percentage. Better than it's been this year. Not where I want to be as always, but we're getting there. We're just trying to trying to build steady. If we can do above 60% every week, we'll continue building steady and we'll continue getting that number higher, up closer to where I want it to be by the end of the year. So far this year, year to date, 139, 103 and three with two no contests, a 0.563 winning percentage. It's not bad, right? Like if, if, if we're talking major league baseball, you're a first place team. If you're winning 50%, 56% of your games, but for a fight predictor, I want it to be higher than that. So we're going to try to get there this weekend with UFC London, 15 fight card, lots of fights to go through. I would love to put up a 12 or a 13 this weekend. Absolute worst case scenario. I want to put up a 10. This needs to be a double-digit weekend. We're going to see because there's some dogs that I like. There's some underdogs that I'm going to be picking here. But we'll see how it goes. Main event, Tom Aspinall versus Marchin Tybura. My pick is Tom Aspinall. He weighed in, looked good this morning. Heaviest he's been in the UFC, but didn't look you know out of shape by any stretch. Just a big, thick, strong, powerful dude is Tom Aspinall. I think he gets it done. I just think... The weapons are too dynamic. The skills, the all-around ability is just too great. I think this is going to be another one of those Tom Aspinall goes out and wows people performances. I don't necessarily think it's going to be the quick, under a minute, under 90 seconds kind of clubbing that we saw at the early stages of his UFC career against Jake Collier and against Alain Baudot. But I do think it's going to be similar to the win over Alexander Volkov, where he just goes out and shows, you're good, but I'm better. 
you're solid, you're a legit top 10 fighter, but I'm a contender. And I'm here to remind people of that. I think he gets another first round win. I think it looks impressive. I think a lot of people kind of get that moment to go, oh, right, this dude was on the cusp before he blew out his knee. We're never going to know how that Curtis Blades fight would have played out or could have played out if he didn't get hurt. But it's one of those performances where if you throw that one out, if you throw that fight out because it's a freak injury, he blows out his knee, putting his leg back to the ground after throwing a kick. He's just been phenomenal. He's been outstanding. And I think he looks outstanding again on Saturday. Co-main event, Molly McCann versus Yulia Stolyarenko. My pick is McCann. I'm I'm uneasy about it because Stolyarenko has ways to win this fight. We saw Molly McCann get dominated on the ground against Aaron Blanchfield. Stolyarenko isn't that caliber of wrestler and grappler, but she is a legitimate black belt. She has finished a number of people on, on the ground by armbar. We've seen Molly McCann be susceptible to getting wrestled and submitted. That being said, I think Maul should have a significant edge on the feet. Stolyarenko is one of those fighters that doesn't really deal well with getting hit, which is always a bad trait to have as a professional cage fighter. It's surprising to me that she's fought Lethway in the past because it is literally just beating the hell out of each other on the feet. And yet here she is. I think this is going to be a closer fight than people expect. I think it will be a bit of a back and forth, but I do think so long as Molly McCann has addressed sort of the range issues and making sure that she keeps Stolyarenko off of her as much as possible, works to get underhooks if she gets into a clinch, works to get up to her feet as quickly as she can if she does get put on the canvas, she should be able to outstrike Stolyarenko from start to finish. Work behind the jab. Don't bother with low kicks. Just pot shot. Just pick Just pick shots. Just pick at her. If it goes the distance, it goes the distance. There's no have to finish. There's no any of that stuff. Take your time. Get a good victory. I'm picking malls. I, I hope she gets the victory to pop off that crowd at the O2 but I'm not super confident. First of two featherweight fights on the main card, Nathaniel Wood versus Andre Feely. My pick is Nathaniel Wood simply because he has looked so good over these two fights in the division. Again, I think this is going to be a close competitive fight. I like Andre Feely a lot. He does a lot of things well. He's got good length, good range for this division, works behind his jab, knows how to do everything that's, everything that you expect and want of somebody in his position in this division. But I do think Nathaniel Wood will find ways to chip away at Andre Feely. I expect a lot of low kicks. I expect that lead leg to get beat up right out of the gate and just be a steady target the whole way through. I think there will be moments where Nathaniel Wood will be able to work his way inside to land big power shots. And if they decide to grapple, if we get into some takedowns and some wrestling exchanges. I think Nathaniel Wood is, is good there. Andre Feely's a good scrambler. He's got good wrestling of his own, but it's not the same caliber to me as Nathaniel Wood. So I'm picking the prospect to move to 3-0 in the featherweight division and keep moving forward, get closer to breaking into the top 15. Move to middleweight. Paul Craig versus Andre Muniz. Paul Craig looked good on the scale. Thanny, it's weird seeing guys go from 205 down to 85. 
because it's like you just reduce the the thickness of their body. He looked good, but I'm still picking Andre Muniz. This is another one of those situations where I think Paul Craig has roads to victory. I think he has avenues to get this done, especially if it turns into the grappling match that I was hoping for, that I advocated for yesterday on 10 Things, that my guy JHK was advocating for on Twitter last night or early this morning as well. If it gets there, Paul Craig has avenues, but I'm going to bank on Andre Muniz. I almost called him Andre Feely. Andre Muniz being the smarter, tactical, more patient fighter when it comes to the work on the ground. Paul Craig is always looking to set things up. He's always working. He's always moving. And I think if he gets put on his back and starts getting into his progression of trying to tie up wrists and look for arm bars and look for triangles, Andre Muniz is just going to pass, is just going to get to spots that he wants to be in and will find a finish of his own. Additionally, if this turns into a, we're both great grapplers, so we're going to kickbox, I favor Muniz. I think he's got a little bit more pop. I think he's a little more fluid on the feet. I think Paul Craig struggles in that department. And so if it stays there, I think Muniz wins a decision. If it gets to the ground, I think Muniz finds a finish. I just hope we get the grappling match. I just, I want to see it. It would be such a great way to round out this card for me. I just want to see it. These are two elite grapplers. I just want to see it. Lightweights, Jai Herbert and Ferez Zayem. My pick is Jai Herbert. I'm very curious, as I've said all week, about Ferez Zayem and seeing the evolution and the progression that he's made since his win over Michael Figlak in Paris in September. But Jai Herbert is the kind of guy that I need to see you beat before I will pick you to beat him. Herbert looked very good last time out against Ludovic Klein. The reason it was a majority draw was there were two low blows in the third round. The second one was dicey. Like it was, it was kind of borderline. It didn't seem all that bad. It cost him a point, results in a draw. I think Herbert is just slightly ahead of Ferez Zayem. And this is where I could be wrong, right? This is one I will say now going in and accept going in. The Ferez Zayem could have made those next steps, taken those next steps, turn that corner a little bit and come out and look good against the veteran. But until I see it, I think Jai Herbert, as he did in the last couple of fights, he's going to work behind that jab. He's going to throw some kicks. He's going to defensively wrestle well. Ferez Zayem is long and rangy and sinewy like Jai Herbert is, which means it's not going to be a muscle and a power thing that he's got to deal with. It's just going to be digging those underhooks, landing some shots in the clinch, working those knees in the clinch, working lots of kicks. I think the veteran gets it done. I think there is real motivation and real push for Jai Herbert fighting at home these last several fights. It feels like not quite the end of his career, but like this is how he's, to me, if I'm Jai Herbert, this is how I want to wrap up my career. Competing in London, competing at home or close to home, competitive fights that I can go out and win. It's not about making a run anymore. It's not about pushing towards the title. It's just go out and pick up some victories. It's sort of the Jim Miller approach, right? Go out and fight the guys because you want to still be competitive. You still want to get out there, but understand that we don't need to be facing up in the division. If he can't beat Ferez AM tomorrow, then that's going to signal some, some changes again and maybe another step back. But I think he gets the job done, gets his hand raised, 
gives the British people something to cheer about on the main card or one of many things to cheer about on the main card. The main card opens in the featherweight division, Lerone Murphy and Joshua Kulibau. My pick is Lerone Murphy. I think this is a coin flip fight. That being said, I also think it can be a one-sided fight for Lerone Murphy. Kulibau is the kind of guy that is going to, can, can run level with you and isn't ever going to overwhelm you and just look dominant. He did it in a couple of fights earlier in his in his UFC run, in this nice little run that he's on of three straight wins, where he looked really good outclassing people that he was significant. He was clearly better than. But I don't think he's clearly better than Lerone Murphy. Lerone Murphy is just outside of that top 15, as is Koulibau, but I think Murphy is ahead of him. And so I think it's one of those opportunities where he may run level, but if Murphy is as good as I think he is, I think he can absolutely blow him out of the water. I think he can go out and style on and probably get Josh Kulibau out of there. That being said, Kulibau is ultra opportunistic. I adore his finish over Melsic Bagdasarian from earlier this year because he was getting busted up. He had taken a bad low blow early in that round. He resets against the fence at one point just before the finish and he's bleeding from the mouth and he's busted up. He's still in there mentally focused, knows what's going on, but he's just taking it, right? He's just wearing it against the striker. Bagdasarian slips, Kulibau pounces on the neck, gets the choke in before the hooks, before anything else, sinks it up in transition. Great, great opportunistic finish. Absolutely loved it. But I don't think he's on Lerone Murphy's level. And I think for a guy like Murphy, who has perpetually now for the last couple of fights, been just outside of that top 15, hasn't quite had that breakthrough moment yet, this is a chance to have it. You're in England. You're on a nice winning streak. It's a guy that's going to give you opportunities to get off, to get your shots off, to land, to maybe look really great. Go out and have that moment, Lerone Murphy. Shift to the prelims. Closes out in the bantamweight division. Davy Grant versus Daniel Marcos. And my pick is Davy Grant. This is a little bit similar to me in terms of my assessment and my theory as the Jai Herbert for M fight. And that is Davy Grant is the kind of guy that I need to see you beat before I will pick you to beat him. Unless you are an Adrian Yanez type, right? Going into that fight, picked Yanez because I thought dynamically, skill-wise, what he does in the cage, he was, he was good enough. I had seen enough that he was going to be able to get that victory. And he only narrowly got a victory over Davy Grant. Marcos looked good against Simon Oliveira, but Simon Oliveira is not Davy Grant. I think Grant is able to go out here and hang. He's always somebody that brings big power, big finishing possibilities, good ability to make things happen. We saw that last time in the Rafael Asun South fight, right? Down, going into that third round. They get the weird situation on the ground where they get stood up and he finds that way to finish as Asun Sao is fading. Lands a good shot, locks up the inverted triangle. He's that kind of guy. And again, similar to a bunch of these fighters, similar to Jai Herbert. Fighting at home, I think, fills them with a little bit of something extra. Maybe they don't ever say it. Maybe some of them won't acknowledge it. But I think it fills a guy like Davy Grant, who absolutely loves this shit, with a little something extra. And I think he looks at Daniel Marcos and says, you're not taking my spot. This isn't, I'm not the guy. This isn't where you come 
and get the biggest win of your career and keep moving forward. This is where I show out at home. He hasn't had a chance to fight in London, in England for a number of years. Go out, get himself a big win to close out the prelims. Give me the underdog, Davey Grant. Move to the welterweight division. Danny Roberts versus Johnny Parsons. My pick here is Roberts and I let out that big sigh and I say it with that exhale because it's a coin flip fight. And picking Danny Roberts, who has been consistently inconsistent in the UFC, is one of those athletes that when he gets hit, he gets knocked out and stumbles around in comedic style. And he's facing a guy whose nickname is the Slugger Knot, who's just going to come out slinging hammers. I don't feel good about this pick. In theory, I think Danny Roberts should be able to stay on his bike, to land a bunch of low kicks, to pick with a jab, maybe throw the odd high kick in there, and just work your way to a 30-27 victory. Johnny Parsons isn't going to come out and wrestle you. He's not necessarily even going to look to really clinch a ton and just grind on you on the fence. Maintain your distance, maintain your range, good footwork, good movement, pick, 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 get through 15 minutes. That would be my instruction. If I'm Henry Hooft and I'm the team in the corner of Danny Roberts, that's my instruction. Pick, 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 get through three five-minute increments, and then let's go home with a win. I don't know that it happens. Not confident about this at all. And that will be reflected when I get to, there's a bunch of fights like this on this card. It will be reflected when I get to the second half of today's twin bill, the betting show a little bit later on, but I'm picking Roberts and crossing my fingers that we get it right. Lightweight division, Mark Jacasey and Joel Alvarez. My pick is Alvarez. I just think he is better than Mark Jacasey. I think he is the kind of guy that is going to give Mark Jacasey fits. If this is a striking battle, Alvarez has the length, the height, the reach, the range to be better than Jacasey and work from those distances and keep him off of him. If it becomes a wrestling and clinch battle, as good of an athlete and as strong and powerful of a grappler as Mark Jacasey can be, I think he's the type of guy that is going to risk himself being in bad spots at times, and Yoel Alvarez will punish you for those situations. Part of this, I will absolutely admit, is colored by the fact that Jacasey turned in an inexplicable performance to me against Michael Johnson last time out. I just didn't understand what he was doing. I didn't understand the nature of that performance. He had wrestled well before that. I get that you don't want to come out necessarily and look to wrestle Michael Johnson. But Michael Johnson is a guy, and we've seen this throughout his career, that if you put him in spots, if you pressure him a little bit and get him to a point where he feels confident, you can capitalize. You can go out there and trade with him and, and get him in a spot where he makes little mistakes, where he starts essentially stuttering a little bit with his actions and find a way to get a victory. And Mark Jacasey did none of that. He just kind of stood in front of him and was happy to let Michael Johnson pick at him. If you do that to Yoel Alvarez, he's going to put an elbow in your face or he's going to take you to the ground and lock up your neck. I like Mark Jacasey. I think he's a good fighter in the mid pack of the lightweight division, but I think Yoel Alvarez is a guy that's going to be in the top 15 pretty soon. And I think we see it again or are reminded of that on Saturday. Heavyweight division, Mick Parkin and Jamal Pogues. My pick here is Mick Parkin. And 
Maybe it's a little bit biased because I spoke to him earlier this week and he made a good impression on me. But truthfully, it's just looking at who he trains with. It's just looking at the guys around him. And in a matchup against a similarly experienced, similarly new new fighter to the UFC in Jamal Post, who is also 27, I'm going to go with the guy that trains with Tom Aspinall pretty regularly, that trains on a daily basis with Phil DeFreeze, the KSW heavyweight champion, who has been trucking people left, right, and center, using his wrestling, using his grappling to get victories every time out. I'm not saying that Mick Parkin is on Phil DeFreeze's level at this point, but as he said to me on, on Wednesday, and as I will just would have said on my own, if you're going with those dudes day in and day out, and you're having some success, you're holding your own, you're able to compete, I think that's enough for you to beat Jamal Pogues. This feels very similar to me to Parkins' fight on the Contender Series last August, where he took on Eduardo Neves, who is now the LFA heavyweight champion. And essentially, he said it himself on Wednesday. He was brought in there to lose. He had a shiny record, an undefeated record, but hadn't really faced anybody. And Neves was in a similar spot, but had faced some people, had that LFA backing behind him. And Parkin went out and finished him in under two minutes. I don't know that he does that to Jamal Pogues because Pogues is a little more experienced than Nevis was. He's a little more sturdy in terms of his ability to absorb punishment and deal with things. But I think we see a good performance from Mick Parkin and we get an, a moment on Saturday with him where a bunch of people are going to have to take a step back and just look and go, is, is this maybe a guy? Not a capital G guy where he's going to be in the top 15 in the next 12 to 18 months, but just a guy that we need to pay attention to. Like of all of these heavyweights that have come through contender series, is he going to be the one that puts a little run together and becomes the best heavyweight contender series grad in a relatively reasonable amount of time? I think he will. 27 years old, undefeated, trains with great people, fighting at home against a guy in Jamal Pogues that has done okay but hasn't overwhelmed me at any point, hasn't really blown me away at any point. Give me the underdog at home. Mick Parkin moves to 7-0. Middleweight division. Mahmoud Muradov versus Brian Barbarina. My pick is Muradov. I adore Bam Bam. One of my favorite people in this sport to talk to. Have spoken to him before each of his last six fights, I believe. Seven fights, I believe. Great dude. I just don't know how he fits and where he fits in this division. We're going to find out on Saturday. This is one of those ones that if I'm wrong, I'm happy that I'm wrong. Because a guy I like, a guy I know, a guy I appreciate gets a victory. But thinking responsibly as a predictor, as someone making predictions on these fights, I have to side with Muradov because of the track record in the division. Now, I understand he's coming in on a two-fight slide. And he was submitted by Gerald Mershart. And he wore down last time out against Kyle Bahio. I don't think Bam Bam is, is Kyle Bahio. He doesn't have the submission game of Gerald Mearshart. And so he's going to need to go in there and bang on Moradov and make it grimy and gritty. And I just don't know that that can happen for 15 minutes without him getting caught, without him getting put on the ground. In each of Bam's last two fights, he's been dragged to the canvas and submitted relatively, not easily, but easily. That's the, I mean, it's the only way I can say it. He got dragged to the ground and submitted by guys that are very good grapplers. 
Don't get me wrong. RDA, Gunny Nelson, great grapplers. Better grapplers than Muradov. But do I think Muradov can out-wrestle him for 15 minutes? Yeah, I think so. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Bam Bam digs under hooks, gets away from him, gets off the fence, makes him pay in space, gets a victory. I would love to see it. But I got to pick with my head instead of my heart. So I'm picking Muradov. Ketlin Vieira versus Penny Kianzad in the Bantamweight division. My pick is Ketlin Vieira simply because of the best version, the best version of Ketlin Vieira, I think beats Penny Kianzad eight times out of 10. She is more powerful. She is more diverse in her abilities, both on the ground and on the feet. And I think she can just go out and dominate being the heavier striker, being the heavier, stronger, more physical woman in the octagon on Saturday. That being said, she's also inconsistent. So Penny Kianzat has opportunities, should be able to go out there and stick the jab in her face and see if she can bust her up and just interrupt her rhythm and keep her off balance the whole way. My hope or my belief is that Vieira will go out and look similar to how she looked in the fight with Misha Tate, where she looked outstanding in that fight. And to me, it's a similar sort of dynamic where Misha Tate isn't a big hitter. And so you can go out, and if this fight stays on the feet, you could just hit Panny Kianzad with the good hard shots and get yourself a victory. Go out and rebound from the loss of Raquel Pennington, a close fight, competitive fight. Put yourself right back in the thick of that title conversation. Get yourself in a spot to take on whoever doesn't get picked to fight for the title against Juliana Pena and get yourself moving in the right direction again. Move back to the lightweight division, Chris Duncan versus Yanel Ashmoos. My pick is Yanel Ashmoos. And while I understand and appreciate that Chris Duncan did a good job of wrestling against Omar Morales last time out to get a victory, I think this is going to be one of those instances where his chin can't avoid the big shot. We've seen Chris Duncan get into brawls and get into slug fights and get slug fests, excuse me, and get hurt at different points. Each of his contender series fights a little bit in the Morales fight. They traded a little bit, not as much as you would have expected going in. And I just think Ashmoos is one of those guys that's got a different kind of power. The way he knocked out Sam Patterson was bonkers. And after a performance like that, I can't pick against you yet. Not at this level. Not when you're fighting a guy that's in that same bracket as you. That's in that same tier as you. So let's see if the undefeated fighter can go out and dial it up again. Get a second win over another member of the lightweight division from the United Kingdom. Put it on Chris Duncan. Remain undefeated. Pick up a second straight finish and and start getting a little bit of Hey, is this a guy we need to pay attention to conversations going, coming out of London on Saturday? Strawweight division, Shauna Bannon versus Bruna Brazil. My pick is Mama B. I'm taking Shauna Bannon. She is an underdog in this fight. I am taking her. I have reassessed. I have, I, I owe people an apology for the Bruna Brazil love and hype and assessment going into her debut against Denise Gomes, which went horribly wrong for her. She got dominated from the outset. She got finished in the second round. And I owe people an apology because I was very into her going into that fight. Watching back her contender series win, where she landed a beautiful head kick finish on Marnik Man, 
feel like it has a lot more to do with the fact that Marnik Man isn't very good. Bruno Brazil's okay. She trains with the Fighting Nerds team, which is Kyle Bahio and those guys. They're okay. I think Shauna Bannon's better than Bruno Brazil. And I think she is the underdog here simply because she hasn't fought in the UFC yet. She's only 5-0. and It hasn't been ultra impressive. Like a, a unanimous decision win over Mina Grusander is something that I understand and appreciate because I know how good Mina Grusander has been regardless of what her record looks like. And so I just think Shauna Bannon can go out here and out kickbox Bruna Brazil. And if she wants to, out-wrestle Bruna Brazil. Put her on the ground, put her on the fence, rough her up in the clinch, stay safe if she gets the top position, land some shots there, and just work her way to a decision win. I think it's a competitive fight. At the very least, I think it's a competitive fight. I don't think Bruna Brazil is as good as I thought she was and anticipated her being coming off of that Contender Series win. I think the highlight of it and the impact of it skewed the way I th was thinking of her and that performance. And we do a little correction here. We go with Mama B to get a victory in her debut and kick off, really, what feels like it might be a real moment here from for some young, new arrivals from the Emerald Isle. Opening bout of the night, Jafel Filo versus Danny Berez in the flyweight division. And my pick is Danny Berez. This, to me, is strictly down to Danny Berez is a finisher, and I just watched Jafel Filo kind of quit last time out. He had a good fight against Muhammad Makayev. Had him in that knee bar in the third round where it felt like, oh my God, Makayev's going to lose. He's going to get tapped. His knee's going to explode. Somehow he fought through it, and it was almost as if Filo not being able to finish broke his spirit. And I don't like seeing that. Because Muhammad got around back to his, Mikhaev got around to his back, put on a neck crank, and it wasn't even, it wasn't a rear naked choke. I know it's listed as a rear naked choke. As a result, it was not. It was a neck crank. It was a thing that you just got to tough it out, and he didn't tough it out. Easy for me to say, I know, sitting here in Abbotsford in my chair, never been in a neck crank. Fine. It's a move that if you're a professional fighter, you just got to tough it out. And if you're not going to, that tells me something. Danny Perez is a hitter. Danny Perez is a finisher. And I think at 34, he comes into the UFC after losing a split decision in his contender series appearance a couple summers ago. I think he comes in looking to make a statement and looking to show not only can he get the guy that Makayev took almost three full rounds to deal with out of there in a hurry, but that he's somebody that can make a quick impact in this division and puts him away early. That's it for this portion. We'll be back later on, not too long from now. We're going to get these recorded back-to-back -back and then posted back-to-back. -back. So I will be back shortly with the betting show. For now, sign up for the Keyboard Kimura newsletter, spencerkite.substack.com. $0, $5 a month, $50 for the year. Helps me deck out the office even more, add to the equipment, continue to put this stuff out. Follow the guys at One Bone, at One Bone Brand on Twitter and Instagram. All kinds of good stuff from them. ESK20 at checkout for 20% off. Follow me for everything I do at Spencer Kite, Twitter and Instagram as well. And Threads. I'm on Threads, but I'm not really on Threads. I just have a Threads account just in case. 
but we'll get to that stuff later. For now, thank you. Love you. Appreciate you. We'll see you in a couple minutes for the betting show. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you're excited for UFC London. We'll talk soon. Peace.